You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Fresh Air Sports Hub Show with me, Peter Johnson, joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. Just running you through the headlines this week before we get into this week's content. On Saturday, the Six Nations concluded with France keeping England at arm's length in their match to start the France to secure their first Six Nations title since 2010. France also became the first side since Wales in 2019 to win all five of their matches. Wales themselves have fallen a long way from fallen a long way from that perfect campaign three years ago, slipping to a, humi- a humiliating defeat to Italy in Cardiff, who entered a 36-game losing streak at the Six Nations. These two sides propped up the table, while Ireland, England and Scotland finished the tournament second, third and fourth, respectively. The new season of Formula 1 got underway last weekend in Bahrain, with Charles Leclerc leading from start to finish to take an early lead in the championship, and Carlos Sainz coming home in second to complete Ferrari's first one to finish since 2019. Late drama saw Pierre Gasly's Alpha Tauri catch fire before the two Red Bulls of Max Stappen and Sergio Perez, who had been running third and fourth, encountered engine difficulties and dropped out of the points. Lewis Hamilton came through as a result to take the final podium place, a surprisingly positive result for Constructors' champions Mercedes, who looked off the pace all weekend. On Monday, Taylor Fritz defeated Rafael Nadal in the final at Indian Wells, ending Nadal's 20-game winning streak at the competition in California. After four games in the first set, Nadal had to leave the court for medical treatment following breathing, following breathing difficulties. Fritz went on to win the match three sets to nil. And in football, the bidding war between prospective owners of Chelsea Football Club is heating up. Global investment firm Centrico's British property investor Nick Candy and a group including Lord Sebastian Co. are the main consortiums battling sick ownership of the club while there's also reportedly been some interest from the United States and Saudi Arabia. And finally, the headlines this week. In other football news, some media outlets are reporting today that the UK and Ireland are set to be declared the five-way joint hosts of Euro 2028, with no rival bids expected before Wednesday's deadline. Turkey and Russia were previously expected to challenge the bid, but dropped out of contention. The UK and Ireland had previously ruled out the possibility of bidding for the 2030 World Cup, instead focusing on hosting Euro 2028 and um, are set to host the first tournament that could be expanded up to 32 teams. And I think we'll start there, bringing Alfie at this point. UK and Ireland hosting a major football tournament. That sounds rather exciting, doesn't it? I think long, long overdue. We were talking about it last week, the fact that 2018 World Cup was in Russia Um and then Euros, to be fair, Euros was kind of around Europe, which was good, but not very convenient given the, the circumstance that the tournament took place in, uh, you know, the pandemic and stuff. Not easy for fans either. And and then it's Qatar this this Christmas. So it would be brilliant to have it just kind of in, well, I guess two places. But yeah, good news, I think. And, and I think people should be excited for that because it's been a long time coming. Uh, there's one thing that I think about, obviously, with these, these joint bids. And sometimes, occasionally, you'll see, I mean, obviously, you had in 2012, you had Poland and Ukraine, for example. In the World Cup, I think the most recent one was Japan and South Korea. We've got three-way hosts coming up in uh, for the World Cup in 2026. Do you not think when there's five host nations who are all automatic, automatically qualifying for the tournament, do you not think that 
I don't not di- not sure it dilutes it slightly, but it, it seems a bit a bit excessive to have five nations automatically qualifying as hosts, which will obviously be the case. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always found it. I mean, normally there's just like one country. If you host it, then you automatically qualify. But even that, I find slightly strange sometimes because, I mean, I don't really know what the basis is for for that. I mean, I guess it's like if you're hosting it, you you want the kind of the crowd and the atmosphere and the to be rewarded some way and given an insurance because you know, for example, if I don't know, uh, I mean, the UK were hosting it, uh, England were hosting it, and then they went out and you know early doors then that's not going to be ideal but yeah it's uh, i'm not really sh- too sure about that i think it's not um yeah it does kind of dilute it and again like i kind of again i ha- as you can tell i haven't i haven't really looked into it too much but the kind of joint bid idea between the uk and ireland i just have it in one place you know like just have it in one place. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to stadiums, I'm not sure, with all due respect, I'm not sure what stadiums there are really outside of England and Scotland. I suppose the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff that could uh, yeah. realistically... I guess, I guess it can just take place around the whole the whole kind of uh, mm. country. So that, that's a good thing, I suppose. Um, but it seems like quite far away just because we've got kind of the the winter world cup to deal with and and other things as well so i guess it's exciting but um yeah i haven't given it too much thought i must say no it was only really breaking news this morning that it should be i think that the, the announcement should be provided there's no surprise late bids which are obviously not expected then it should mm. be officially awarded in the coming uh, next two weeks i believe um there was just one more thing and i think it has that this has been a little bit of a talking point uh, the last the last kind of week or so. And that's the discussion of expanding the Euros 32 teams. I mean, we saw it as 16. It was originally only eight, wasn't it? And then it became 16 and just the last two tournaments expanded to 24. But um, 32, there can't be 32 teams in Europe good enough to battle it out in a tournament. I mean, the quality seems slightly diluted when it was expanded to 24. I mean, 32 seems... Um, How many teams are there... How many teams are in the World Cup? 32, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, if there's 32 in the World Cup, which I also, I was thinking about it this morning, actually, before we before we started chatting as I was waking up. I woke up quite early and I was listening to a, to a podcast and I was just kind of like, I, don't get me wrong, the Euros is great, but there's nothing quite like the World Cup, you know, when you when you have, like, Brazil in there and the South American teams, the Asian sides... Um, you know, I was thinking it mainly from an Arsenal perspective, just because Arsenal is an international break and a lot of the Arsenal players are going away, which is not something that we've been accustomed to over the last few years. And it's so exciting, the the idea of sort of, you know, teams from all over the world playing against each other and 32 of, the, 32 of them. But I think in Europe, like a 32C, I mean, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd be able to name 32 countries in Europe, I must say. <laughs> I mean, it would avoid the issue of the um, the ridiculous rule about the best third place teams getting through. Um, but I mean, even so, I think I think thirty two seems a bit excessive. Sixteen was about right, wasn't it? But doubling that just seems crazy. Um, we're not the ones in charge, though, so maybe maybe that's to be expected. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the here and now and look back over some of the fixtures we've seen in the last week. 
Um, kicking off with the Champions League, which took place on Tuesday and Wednesday, we had the last two teams, the last two English teams in action, with Man City and Liverpool having already got through. Um, the other fixtures saw Villarreal with a, a shock 3-0 victory against Juventus. I believe it was three, yeah, three goals in the second half um, to go through 4-1 on aggregate. And then Benfica uh, seeing off Ajax progress. Uh, Chelsea also just about got over the line against Lille coming from behind. And then the main one um, is Manchester United falling to defeat at home against Atletico Madrid. Um, yeah, they never make it easy for themselves, United. Um, and there they are. They're out in the round of 16 again. But I suppose, and I was saying this to my dad the other day, actually, when the draw for the next round came out, it saves them getting knocked out by Man City in the quarterfinal, which is who they'd have faced had they got through. So every cloud. But... Uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw any of the Champions League last week, Alfie, what you made of it, um, any of the games at all. Yeah, so, I mean, I was quite surprised that Benfica beat Ajax. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of, in my following of the Champions League this season, I've just been seeing Ajax scoring a ridiculous number of goals. I think they won every single game in the group. Sebastian Aller breaking Champions League records for goals scored in consistent number of Champions League games. Um, but I think Darwin Nunes, their their striker, scored a quite a good goal. It was it was quite a smash and grab performance from Benfica. Um, and they are playing. Are they? Who are they playing in the next round? Liverpool, um, is it? I've got the no. draw up here. Just bear with me a moment. Um, come on, laptop. Uh, it is uh, Benfica and Liverpool. Yes. Yeah, so that's a pretty favourable draw for Liverpool. You, you you kind of expect Benfica to get drawn up against Manchester City. That's just that would be quite predictable. Um, but yeah, I, I did watch the I watched the majority of the Manchester United game, um, or I missed the first half an hour, which I, which is when I think Man United were maybe at their best in that second leg. I mean, at their best, it's all relative, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That 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 sounds as if I'm doing them maybe a bit too much justice, but. <laughs> They, um, I was, look, I, I was getting a bit frustrated. I was watching it with a Manchester United fan and I was just thinking like, yeah, there just wasn't much going on. Um, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo was floating out to the wing and trying to take people on and, you know, beat people with step overs and sprint past them. And he's just not got that in his, in his legs anymore. I just wanted him to stay in the, in the penalty box and, you know, you try and get it into him. But it kind of, yeah, it, I mean, Atletico Madrid are the best side in the world at kind of closing out games and really like, you know, they're brilliant at what they do, which is quite ugly and unattractive. But from about the 77th minute, I think it was when uh, Koke went off, like the ball was barely in play. Like I've never seen a game kind of managed like that just to, you know, completely take any kind of chance or opportunity away from Manchester United to get anything from the game. Like Atletico just shut them down. Mm. Um, but I mean, yeah, pretty underwhelming and an uninspiring stuff from United. But as you say, and as we've said plenty of time, it's kind of unsurprising and predictable at this point. I mean, I it sums it up quite well. I spoke to a couple of my mates yesterday on the phone um, who I hadn't spoken to for a while, both of whom are Manchester United fans. And I said, I was just like, oh, like, you know, how, how are things going United-wise? And they obviously thought I was coming to taunt them because Arsenal are in a, you know, a good moment right now. And I think their reaction of just despondent kind of like, you know, uh, same old 
kind of they're just fed up and that summed up quite well. I think most Manchester United fans are like that. But you, you tell me, you're you're a fan. How was your what was your reading of it? I mean, it's, you know, it's basically what we've just said. It was incredibly underwhelming. I think it's one of those, like you said, it's like you alluded to there. I think if you go behind a glance at Let's Come Madrid, I think they are arguably the hardest side in the world to come back from. Uh, behind against. I mean, we've seen Ronaldo lead the charge before, haven't we, with, with Juventus when he got a hat-trick, I think. So you were kind of hoping if there's anyone, like I think like we said last week, if there's, if there's anyone who can turn it on against Atletico Madrid, then it is Ronaldo. So as long as he was on the pitch, there was always <clears throat> maybe the potential for that moment, but realistically, it was never going to happen. It's like it's like you say, it's very ugly watching Atletico Madrid. It's very difficult to watch sometimes, um, but they are very effective to what they do and they do win football matches doing it. Um, so all credits them, and they're obviously uh, Man City's problem in the quarterfinals. The thing is, I I found them quite difficult to watch towards the end of the game, but it's kind of like you know what you're going to get with Atletico, yeah. And I guess it kind of goes for United as well. But I found it equally as frustrating watching Manchester United players, you know, giving the ball away, fouling them. Look, whether Atletico were drawing the fouls really well or not, but United just had no kind of grounding in that game um there was no kind of flicker of hope i mean i feel really quite sorry uh, for for marcus rashford he came on and it was just hopeless um he's in a really tough spot and i've got i've got another thing like there's another way to kind of look at it in terms of what his kind of current predicament reflects on the club as a whole and like where they've been over the last five years but it was just you know jaden sancho Looked all right. Um, Pogba came on, didn't really do much. I know Bruno Fernandez kind of was was unwell before the game, so I think that's why he came off early. But it, it wasn't really, it wasn't very cohesive. And you know, bringing on Juan Mata and I think Cavani came on, and it's just like these guys are they're they're past it now. I think they're, I was they're, shocked they're to too- see what Mata come on. I've got to say, I, I, was- I think most people were. I mean, he's he's not really played that much this season for United, but. I mean, it did show, doesn't it, that like the players you're bringing on uh, Kava- to make a difference, Cavani, Mata, Pogba, all three of whom are probably going to leave for free at the end of the summer. They're, they're either getting on too far or, you know, they're, they're not meriting a new contract. Ronaldo wasn't making a difference. Uh, Alanga was promising but got hooked. Sat, uh, Rash- you know, there's just so many players who aren't doing it right now. And, and it's kind of like, it's all, it's on the players, but I mean, I was just saying this to my friends yesterday. Like, where, like, why are these players not being coached properly? Like, are they that difficult to coach? And maybe they are with the kind of dynamic of the group. But you know, I think we're just seeing so many of the same issues coming up, and they're not resolved because they keep coming up. Um, but God, that team just needs to be coached properly and to you know get rid of some of those players and and reinvigorate themselves because I look at Marcus Rashford and I'm just like, I don't really see a different player um, now than I did when he broke through, however long ago it was. The only thing that's changed really is the kind of rawness and explosive kind of, you know, young player mentality of, of breaking through. And now he just looks as if like he hasn't developed the kind of technical side of his game. And obviously his confidence is, is really down at the moment, but, I just think it's a waste of potential and he's still young enough to kind of salvage something, but it's just like, where's the, where has his improvement been really? I mean, I know he's had strong seasons, but 
you just think like he had all the raw he has all the raw attributes to to really take his games to a different level and he's kind of just been stagnating at united i mean maybe that's more of a kind of recency bias because i know he has actually had quite strong seasons over the last few years but it seems to have caught up with him um i don't know what you think of rashford and and any of that of what i've said well, i would tend i tend to agree to be fair i think even the seasons he's done well he's still you know, consistently inconsistent and he's still a very frustrating player to watch. You know, he has to, he has had flashes of brilliance, maybe not so much this season, um, but he's had, he has had, you know, moments of brilliance that, you know, okay, we'll, we'll tolerate, you know, 85 poor minutes because, he, you know, he, he could produce something. And in the past he has done. Um, but it's that that spark, like you said just then, it's that spark really that's gone from his game, you know. You could have you you could put up with eighty five poor minutes just for one moment, but you get in eighty five poor minutes, you know, today, and you get nothing in return. It's it's very difficult to watch him because he is obviously incredibly low in confidence. But he's not he's not the only. I I kind of lump in lump him in with Marshall as well. Actually, they kind of came through the same time. It's kind of under Van Gaal. They both started playing in the side together, and they were two players who had you know fantastic potential, brilliant, brilliant potential, and two players who it was quite clear, you know, up to, you know, perhaps two or three years ago that they were struggling. And this was, I think you could trace it back probably to the Mourinho era and then all the way to the Solskjaer era. And then now under Rangnick as well, that's three managers under which they've, they appear to have struggled. And obviously Marshall's got his move away to Sevilla and towards it to purposes, I believe he's doing okay, but he's not setting the world light over there. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting the fact that there are two players who, you could look at, you know, they've got had very similar kind of career tra- trajectories in terms of when they broke through at United, the potential that was kind of seen in them and the way they both kind of tailed off at the same time or kind of flatlined, never really kicked on. Um, I think there's a lot of similarities there and it is it is interesting. I think, you know, if it was one of them, you you, you could put it down and say, all right, maybe they've not, they've not got the right mentality or they're not cut out to play for Manchester United. But I think when there are two of them where there was so much hype around them four or five years ago, to see them kind of tail off in the exact same manner I think reflects very badly on I think just those in charge all the way through at the club I think I don't think there's enough support maybe for for the younger players in terms of their development I'm not sure you can pin it all on you know managers Solskjaer, Mourinho, Rangnick I think I think it's a lot more underlying I just think the right the way through the coaching and the support Mm. maybe isn't isn't set up in the way it should be. Well I think on that I mean, in my mind, I see Martial and Rashford as, as you know, similar kind of age profiles and and talent kind of potential. But, you know, it. I think it became clearer with Martial that there wasn't, not an attitude problem, but kind of like there was a level of inconsistency in terms of application that you sometimes see. And, I, you know, I see it with someone like Nicola Pepe at Arsenal, who just like, you don't really know which player is going to turn up um, and you know, I think Jose Mourinho was was quite keen to move Martial on, but he's a he's a favourite of uh, Joel Glazer, I think. So you know, he, they wanted to stay, keep him around. But I think you know, he obviously could have been coached, but I think pe- players, I mean, managers, kind of made up their mind about him. Um, and whether that he should have been given more time, I don't know. And, and maybe he still will if he's coached properly. But Rashford, you know, I, I don't think we've ever. Fault it. He always looks like he really wants it, and I mean, maybe of late, it's kind of his head's down, and it gives off the wrong impression. But 
you know, I remember reading uh, in the Athletic, which you know, for is is quite a a well regarded sort of source of information, and they were doing a deep dive into you know life under Solskjaer and sort of looking at the the training and what was going on, and you know, Marcus Rashford apparently after one training session went up to Solskjaer and the coaching staff and and kind of expressed his his feelings of could we just have a bit more kind of like actual coaching in terms of an attacking sense and structures and kind of patterns of play and he was told to kind of just like get on with it and and it wasn't kind of like a request that was met with any encouragement and that just kind of shows like a young players kind of going up to your coaching staff being like can you coach me more please and I think that is something that is is so obvious in that United squad I mean even though the defense is a lot more experienced and older like as a unit like they need to be coached as a defensive unit because that I mean as a team it's just a collection of individuals and and not a team basically and I think Rashford has kind of like you know you think of if he was again it's easy to say easier said than done but if he was under a manager say Pep Guardiola or or Jurgen Klopp in a in a kind of different environment there's there's no way that this is going on right now. Like I I honestly think he is a victim of Manchester United's kind of uh, issues, and and it's sad to see because I think he does you know he's he's a great figure in football, and he's still young, and he's 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 really you know for such a young player, he's still done great things on the pitch. But to kind of see him suffer like this and to get frustrated with fans and and fans kind of turning on him. And, you know, Solskjaer, I remember, was in the press telling him to focus on his football when he was doing all these brilliant campaigns for child poverty and, and free school meals. And it's just like, treat him as an individual and like as a player who needs certain things. Like, And it just looks as if like Manchester United have, have kind of not wasted his, his talent, but just really not, done well enough to kind of cater to the individual because I think Rashford is clearly you know not complex but like has different areas that you need to tend to and like mm. they've just failed um look it's, it's still early days for him I think he's what 24 maybe 23 um yeah he's 24 years old so he's still very young and look if I'm sure that the next manager who comes in regardless of Rashford maybe coming out and saying that through his agent that he's interested in a move if his playing time doesn't increase. Like, I'm sure that the next manager will be quite keen to use Rashford and coach him and have him re-fire this Manchester United side because otherwise, like, you don't you don't have much else going on in that forward part of the pitch in terms of, you know, exper- relative experience and stuff. So those are my thoughts. And and as a, as a guy who likes Marcus Rashford and thought he was he is a a very he's a player with brilliant skill sets it's sad to see him kind of not have pushed on in the way that he could have done with the right management and coaching and and treatment as a player but as a individual as well no I agree I agree and it's very sad to say I I think like you say I think it's worth keeping him around I think you know you can't you can't sell the entire team you can't lose the entire team on free transfers I mean some of them have got to stick around next season and I think he is he is one of I think if you're going through the squad, I think he's one who's worth taking a chance on. I think just going back to Marshall, I think by comparison, and then you alluded to the attitude problem, which is a, a very fair point, I've got to say. Um, I would maybe move him on by comparison, but I think Rashford is definitely someone worth sticking around. I mean, he he's waiting for a 
a top quality coach. And I think when you look at when you look at the names being lined up, obviously we've spoken about Ten Hag and Pochettino, and then you look at this week, apparently Lapitagui and uh, Luis Enrique are also in the frame, who perhaps maybe aren't the same. I don't know. I'm not sure that they, they don't maybe fit right in my mind as well as the other two potentially, but whoever United are not getting, they're getting a proper coach. They're not getting, they're get, not getting mm. a result chart. They're, they're not getting, a, you know, a, you know, quite a, a negative kind of manager in a Mourinho sort of sense. They are getting, you know, a, a, a positive, you know, inspiring kind of coach who can come in and hopefully reinvigorate. Um, whoever, whichever name it turns out to be, it will be somebody hopefully who can reinvigorate some kind of confidence into him and coach him like he obviously wants to be. Um, so I think he's he's definitely one keeping around. I think the next next season I think will be crucial for him. I think how he adapts to a new manager, which you know it's an opportunity for a new lease of life with him. And you can say that about a lot of the players in that squad, but I think particularly for him with being so low as as he is at the moment for for confidence, I think it's crucial for him that he gets it right next season. Yeah, and and also we're kind of forgetting that his his kind of prominence in the team look it's coincided with poor form and he's been injured and, and had fitness issues but the sign of Cristiano Ronaldo probably hasn't helped him um you know signing Jaden Sancho who's playing on that left-hand side predominantly which is where Rashford tended to play you know he he's kind of been crowded out a bit and you know Alanga's broken through um so it's and I know look Cavani's probably off he'll be off in the summer Ronaldo is another question. I think if you're going to get a new manager in like a Ten Hag or a Pochettino or whoever else, it's kind of, I don't know, I think most Manchester United fans would probably think it's a good time to kind of have, you know, have a clean break with Ronaldo and, and not have that kind of burden on a new manager to, not a burden because he brings so much, obviously, but it's not necessarily going to be conducive to kind of like fostering a new sense of team collective kind of uh who who are the leaders and, and not kind of Ronaldo and Rashford look I think if he any of those guys come in they will be chomping on the bit to work with him like Ten Hag is obviously a br- very good coach has worked with young players before Rashford is definitely in that mold Pochettino at Spurs worked with young players and I know that we, ha- we we've had words on what on his shortcomings of late but he's not got the same kind of job description at PSG um, I mean, arguably, you could say that you know, Mbappe over the last two years has really taken the world by storm, whether that's it's probably completely down to him. But, you know, Pochettino has kind of been his manager at that point. So, you know, he's he's definitely got a track record with with young players. And I think Rashford would do well to kind of stick it out because I think Manchester United would would really have uh, shot themselves in the foot if he did choose to move on. On, on Martial, I think, He's another one which you'd probably look to move on, but it depends if Cavani's going, um, you know, but Ronaldo, we're not sure. Then maybe he's not the worst kind of player to, to have stick around, um, depending on what the new manager thinks. But I mean, with Ronaldo, it's like, well, where does he go? Like, I'm, I'm not sure he could he could go. I don't think he'd want to go to sort of retirement in, in the US or elsewhere and I don't really see an opening in in the European kind of big clubs who'd who'd want to take him um maybe if you know we get some movement with Haaland and uh Mbappe and you know PSG miss out or whoever like there'd be a space for him but yeah it's it's um it's a strange time um 
for United. And I, I do feel for Rashford because I like him as a player, and as a guy. Well, let's move it on then to, uh, well, we'll end the, the, the negative Man United chat. It's all getting a bit too much for me. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll move it on to, uh, I'm not sure we've got a huge amount to say on the Europa League, really, just to run through the the results, though. So uh, the sides through to the quarterfinals are Atalanta, Rangers, Barcelona, uh, Braga, Eintracht Frankfurt, Lyon, and West Ham United still um, flying high in that competition. And I think West Ham have got a rather favourable draw in the next round as well. Uh, I think they're against Leon. Yes, they are against Leon and uh, Rangers as well are against Braga. So very good opportunity for both those sides. Barcelona as well, incidentally, are playing in Frankfurt and uh, opportunity for me to get a couple of tickets to go watch Barcelona perhaps. So, uh, Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll tell you what, actually, while we're on that, I did see uh, Russia Dortmund last week. Was it Wednesday, oh. Wednesday night? Was that the one all draw? No, it was what one nil they won. Um, oh, the late winner. Eighty um, eighth minute. Mm. They were second best all the way through. To be fair, um, mm. but then right at the end, nicking it, um, which is a shame. But it, it's there's some kind of title fight going on here now, which um, can't be said very often in Germany. But um, it's closer. I think, than it's quite nicely, so. Yeah, it's closer than it has been. But Dortmund, I think they drew at the weekend, didn't they? I mean, they're close on paper, but I think most people still. Don't really think they they have a chance of winning it. I mean, Bayern Munich still I, got to come to Mainz yet, so we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see after that. We'll see after that. But uh, um, just on the Europa League, um, brilliant for Rangers, um, obviously as a, as a Scottish side, yeah. and Barcelona. Look, they've just walloped Real Madrid four 0 yeah, in the Clasico at the weekend. Um, you know, Pierre and Aubameyang has has made a brilliant start to his life there. I mean, not in a similar way, not in a dissimilar way to how he started his Arsenal career. You know, he joined in in January. He went on to score something like thirteen goals in in thirteen games or something for the second half of the season. And he tends to start very strong. Um, and it's great to see them playing so well. Um, and hopefully, they can go all the way in in the Europa League. Um, and they hadn't won a Clasico for a long, long time, so. That was great. And then, I mean, West Ham, brilliant to see them beating Sevilla, who are no pushovers, uh, to beat them kind of like resoundingly 2-0 with Yarmolenko, the Ukrainian, getting the winner. Um, I think he I think he got a, another winner for West Ham. Uh, he's in the league, wasn't in, it? Was it Villa? I think it was Aston Villa, wasn't it? Oh, he, he got a goal, at least. He got the second goal, I think, and it's brilliant. He scored twice within the space of a week. And, um, you know... Um, it's not easy. I can't, it must be horrible for him at the moment, but it's kind of apt that someone should be making a difference like him um, on the football pitch. And very pleased for West Ham, although it probably meant that Spurs had an easier game on Sunday. But um, good to see West Ham progressing. And I think Leicester went through and... Uh, they did in the Conference League, yeah. Conference League, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think as well, when you I mean, when you look at that draw, and you, you, we could have, I mean, I know it's... it's only the Europa League, but for sides like West Ham and Rangers, it's huge. You know, they've they've not competed at this level for a long, long time. And they've both got, I think you'd have to say they're probably the way they're playing, they're probably both favourites, West Ham against Leon and Rangers against Braga. Um, so to see them two in the semi-finals of any kind of major European competition will be epic, really. Mm, definitely. Um to be fair, we we've also um I mean West Ham were playing in the Europa League on Thursday, we actually had there was all sorts of football last week. We had like the Champions yeah. League and then and then Premier League on the same night. Um, yeah. 
I don't know if we were going to get into that next. Yeah, I was just, or... about to, just about to move on to that. Um, I think we've got, we'll quickly talk about the FA Cup while we're on kind of the, the tour. Sure. And then we'll move on to just looking at what happened in, in, the, in the Premier League. And right. so obviously we had uh, Crystal Palace absolutely destroying Everton 4 0. And mm. Frank Lampard had some, it was, ra- it was rather expletive filled interview he gave afterwards, which was very kind of unlike Frank. But, um, obviously get into him. They did beat Newcastle earlier in the week as well, didn't they, which we'll come on to. So they've got something to hold on to, but it's obviously not going so well down there. And then Man City beat Southampton 4-1. Um, Liverpool beat Forest, left it late. It was Jotter in the end, wasn't it, with a goal. And the other match was Chelsea against Middlesbrough. Chelsea obviously won 2-0. Um, and the draw for the FA Cup actually is the, the main point, really. I'm not sure there were really any surprises in that Um quarter-final in those quarter-finals but the, the semis we've got uh, Chelsea against Crystal Palace and then rather predictably uh, Man City and Liverpool were drawn against each other um, would have made a rather good final to be fair but uh, got that as the semi so I mean who do you see really from there I doubt very much you're going to say Crystal Palace but oh, yeah I mean I'd I'd love to say Crystal Palace. I'm kind of bored of... I mean, Chelsea are kind of bored of seeing them in finals. I mean, a Man City as well, to be fair. They're just always there, um, which is testament to their you know, success, mainly. Um, yeah, it's hard to look past Chelsea against Crystal Palace. And, I mean, City-Liverpool's a tasty affair because they've now got each other in the semi-final of the FA Cup. They've also got, you know, that crunch showdown, top of the league clash in the league in a few weeks. Um, so that's a really difficult one to call. I probably fancy oof, Liverpool, I'm going to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the winner of that will be the winner of the of the FA Cup. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, but yeah, on, on I mean, Palace were brilliant against Everton or looked as if they were brilliant. I know Lampard said they weren't and Everton just kind of gave up. But um, yeah, that's kind of a having just won 1-0 in the league and then getting battered by your fellow Premier League opponents, Crystal Palace, who I think are also coming up for Everton in the league soon. It's not ideal. Um, but, you know, I think them getting a win in the league is probably more important. But it's just like the demoralising nature of that defeat is, is kind of something that Everton could really do without. It was, I thought it was, it was, I think for me, he did deflect all the blame onto the players, really. I think he said, I mean, like you said just then, he said that Palace were scored four, you know, fairly lucky goals or something. He wasn't particularly complimentary of them. And he said the Mm. tactics were fine. He said, looking at the first 20 minutes or so, I think, um, of a 90-minute game, let's remember, the first 20 minutes, the tactics were fine. So the tactics obviously weren't the problem. Um, And, you know, kind of putting all the blame onto the players, which is kind of... I think when you you know when you when Everton are obviously in need of a bit of a confidence boost like they are, and obviously I think losing 4-0 in a game that gives you the opportunity to go and play at Wembley is a bit of a kick in the teeth anyway. But you know, the, the way in which he came out and so publicly criticized them after, after what was already such a a tough defeat was it was it's a strange one. And it just kind of you know reinforced kind of what I've believed the last few weeks, really, that he's not perhaps cut out to, you know, lead a club, maybe not at this stage of his career with the experience he's got and, the, you know, the clubs that he's been at previously. I'm not mm. sure he's got the mentality or the kind of the capacity to lead a side who are struggling in the way that Everton are. 
Well, I mean, on on evidence of results and performances and the way it's going for him, you, 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 it's hard to argue against that. I mean, yeah, Lampard, it's hard because these Everton players clearly are like not good enough. And how far can you go with, you know, I think he said it in his press conference, how far, how far can you go with sort of buttering them up and, and trying to, you know, kind of give them that, that reassurance. But actually when, you know, I think they were quite good in the first 20 minutes and then they just kind of stopped playing and, and got too nervous. And I think, you know, these players have just completely lost their sense of uh, ability and a lot of them probably aren't up to the level anyway, but it's a really hard job. And yeah, Lampard, I mean, who would be cut out for this kind of job at Everton? Like who, I, I can't, it's not an easy job to come into, especially with someone who doesn't have that kind of experience. Um, you know, they've got such a strange squad, uh, as we've said so many times, so poorly put together but yeah i mean we'll see they've got they've got a couple of games next after the international break um you know they did win against newcastle yeah, but let's not forget that to be fair yeah which was huge you know they mm-hmm. uh, i think awobi got the winner in the 97th 99th minute or something like that um which was crazy but yeah. that will probably hopefully give them a bit of hope i guess yeah, you would think so. I mean, to be fair, that, that was a particularly good result. I mean, you know, this time a few months ago, you thought beating Newcastle wasn't much of a an achievement, really. But I think it was their mm. first defeat in eight or nine matches. You know, they were on a very good Easy. vein of form, to be fair, Newcastle. And you have to say they are uh, looking at the table now. Four, I think you're generally, at this stage of the season, you're generally kind of safe for 13th, 14th, when the sides yeah, definitely. Are, are as poor as they clearly are. So, uh, not, not you know, a, a very good victory in fairness, and that was it with the, the fan, wasn't the um, um, cable tied himself to the um, mm. post. It's very strange. Um, I think, th- yeah, that was strange, but I think someone tried to do it at, at the at the Arsenal game against Liverpool yeah. as well. Um, I think they were trying to do it every game, but they've obviously you know sussed it out now. Yeah, I think it was some sort of protest movement. I can't exactly remember what it was against. Um, so it's not worth but- it. <laughs> No, I, I don't think it's it's really done the job. Um, but yeah, quite quite strange. But um, yeah. Then we had uh, the day after. Um, we had an equally thrilling match at the end. Really, we had Leeds turning round uh, a two nil deficit at half time to win three mm-hmm. two. Luke Ayling with the winner in the ninety first minute. Um, I mean, so that's two wolves. wins for the bounce, isn't it? Now I think for Leeds as well. Yeah, massive. I mean, Wolves capitulated. Um, I don't know what happened to them, but like the panic and the, uh, you know, I mean, I know they went down to 10 men, but I, they've been largely quite good defensively this year. Um, yeah. Although I did see that, you know, Jose Sarr has prevented something like 10 goals with his saves or something, um, you know, in terms of like XG prevented yeah. or something like that. Um, so maybe it's kind of catching up with them now. But Leeds, I mean, brilliant to see them get that win. And then, you know, they got that last minute kind of winner against Norwich as well. So really, Leeds still, like, even without Bielsa and, you know, without certain players, they're, they're still fighting away and providing all that entertainment. Puts them kind of on 29 points. Um, the thing is, you know, like, Leeds and Everton, Everton have played three games less than Leeds and 
two games less than Watford, who are below them by three points. And it's kind of like, even though they're 17th and it looks really precarious, it's kind of like you just need to worry about the team below you. Because I think those three are pretty set on maybe going down, to be honest. Mm. But Everton just need to, you know, it's not, the risk is still there. But yeah, Leeds, brilliant. I'm so, I'm pleased for them, to be honest. Um, and yeah, there were a few games uh, just in the week um, yeah, Spurs beat Arsenal Liverpool you have where you kind of skimmed yeah 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 so Spurs beat Brighton 2-0 I mean Brighton are kind of in a weird like they play well but they can't find the back of the net um, and they haven't won at home for a long time I think they've won lost six on the bounce now or something like that so it's, it's kind of you know strange for Brighton because they've been one of the better teams mainly this season mm. um, and now, yeah yeah and uh, you know Harry Kane got a goal, uh, classic. Um, but he's him and Son have seemed to be finding their form at just the wrong time for Arsenal fans. Um, so, and then yeah, Arsenal lost two 0 to Liverpool, which was a shame in the end. It's kind of similar to the Manchester City game in, in on New Year's Day, where I don't know if you watched the game, but like Arsenal were really quite good for quite yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, really matched Liverpool in a way that you don't see many teams do. We made it really uncomfortable for them. But again, kind of like the City game, there was a five-minute period where the, t- the game kind of turned. I mean, they came out and played a lot better after half-time, but Erdegaard had a brilliant chance, um, which was really well saved by Alisson. Uh, Lacazette had a half-chance. He was switched off at a quick free kick. And then Jota got played through and Ramsdale should have saved it. And then from there, it was just kind of like, you know, uh, regular service resumed. But again, I, I, I wasn't upset, really. Um, there'll come a time, you know, where these in- improved performances merit a result. But look, this season, it hasn't happened against Liverpool and City. Um, but at least we're seeing that we can, you know, not for the whole 90 minutes yet, but for a large majority of the game, we can really compete and make things uncomfortable. Um, and I really like to see that. It was it was great to see, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, just from a kind of a neutral point of view, I mean, Liverpool did what Liverpool do, ultimately. I mean, mm. it did look, it did look a, it's not a, a performance you would, on in you know, in seasons gone by, have expected from Arsenal. I mean, there's been some quite ridiculous, crazy matches against Liverpool in the past, Um it was a it was a lot more it was a much more controlled game. I think Arsenal generally, I think in the midfield as well, tended to control the game really well. It was just saying that that 10 minute period, which was all it took for Liverpool, obviously, to get those two goals. Um mm. I'm just looking through here as well. I mean, Arteta said it himself really, he lost the game in the boxes. Kind of he seems to control the, the the midfield really rather well. It was just, you know, both ends of the pitch where it really counts. Yeah, it was that. And look, we know that Lacazette. <laughs> He does a lot for the team, but in these kind of big games, you know, the the threat that your centre forward needs to possess, he he doesn't have that. Um, he doesn't have that cutting like instincts that say Diogo Jota or even Roberto Firmino has, as he showed, um, you know, getting across his man. Lacazette doesn't make those runs across the defender. Um, he's always looking to kind of with his back to goal, kind of bring others into play, which is great most of the time, but you also need to combine that with you know your actual main job which is to be the striker and score goals um which i think the shortcoming of that is kind of exposed mainly in these in these games 
Um, and look, Ramsdale made a bit of a mistake. There was some a bit of a kind of sloppy defending and Liverpool punished us and we didn't punish them. For example, when Thiago made a really bad back pass, um, if that happened with us, you know, there's no chance that Diogo Jota is not scoring that chance, for example. Like Liverpool are, they have the forwards, they have the devastating kind of clinical finishing, which Arsenal don't have um, or are developing. But yeah, it, it was bang on by Arteta and what, what you said, David. It was kind of one in the boxes because we, we actually played well. I mean, Thomas Partey <clears throat> is playing some really good football at the moment. Um, bossing the midfield against Liverpool. Um, he played really well against Leicester last week. He played brilliantly against Aston Villa. And yeah, it just comes down to some of those fine margins against the best sides and we we fall short. But I, I wasn't too disheartened. It was more kind of a frustration that the quality of the performance didn't like reap anything in terms of points. But look, we, we backed it up with a win. So it, it kind of, that was... The most important thing lose yeah. against Liverpool and then win and that's what we did of course yeah I'm just looking at the other other fixtures from this weekend and kind of looking kind of how the, the race for fourth place as, as it was really heating up so West Ham obviously Tottenham 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 managed to win two games back to back which we've not seen much recently beating West Ham at home so they're probably well they are second favourites now behind Arsenal for top four um Three points behind, but Arsenal having a game in hand. And then United are one point further adrift. And then West Ham are now six points off the top four, having played two games more than Arsenal and one game more than Spurs and United. Mm. Uh, so Arsenal still in front position. But like you say, Kane and Son both bagging goals this week. Um, Kane setting up two for Son as well against West Ham. So they're really starting to find their... I mean, they broke the record, didn't they, a few weeks ago for mo- mo- um, most combined goals and assists. So they're... You know, really hitting their form, like you say, at the wrong time. But you've you've still got them just about at arm's, arm's length, haven't you? With what nine games to go? Yeah, I mean, just on that, a, a great achievement. Um, they should probably get a trophy for that because they're not going to win anything else. Um, it's quite, <laughs> but it's quite funny that like you know Harry Kane and Human Son, some of the world's best players, and they're like ultimately, look, they might win something at some point, but. <laughs> It's kind of on on individual records. Anyway, um, yeah, no, West Ham are falling away as we sort of thought they would. Um, I mean, they made it, they kind of played into Spurs' hands. It was very much kind of like the classic Harry Kane dropping deep, Son running in behind, finding space. That's what they do. Um, you have to stop them doing that. And when you do stop them doing that, then they struggle, which is the kind of thing that I'm holding on to. I'm just like, Spurs are devastating when when you give them that opening, but as we've seen this season, they struggle against teams who sit deep and and don't let them play their game. Um, but it is a bit worrying because they are threatening and they've got two of the best forward players in the world in their ranks. And Conte, who's one of you know the best managers really in the world, and they've got a couple other players who are playing quite well at the moment. So they're, they're definitely a threat, and their fixture kind of list is is looks a bit easier on the eye than Arsenal's. Um Arsenal still have to go to Spurs, which hasn't been rescheduled yet. I think that will be probably on the penultimate week of the season or something like that. Um which will be rather large. Um yeah. and Arsenal still have to go to West Ham. They still have to go to Chelsea. 
they've got Chelsea away on a Wednesday and then they've got United at home on a Saturday lunchtime. So that's quite a big week. And then I think it's West Ham after that. So we've got all those three games in sort of a week's period. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's far from over. Like Arsenal are in pole position in terms of points, but it's... Um, it's definitely anyone's. It's just as you said, as as Michael Arteta keeps saying, it's game by game. And um, look, Aston Villa, the game on Saturday, it's a game that we we may have slipped up on previously. Um, it should have been more comfortable than it was, but we managed to get the three points. So that was a very good win, especially going into the international break. And then we've got a few games now which look on paper all right. Having said that, it's Palace away, Southampton away, and Brighton at home. So they're not easy at all. No, no game's easy, but it's reassuring to see that we're playing week on, week in, week out, whether it's Liverpool or Villa or Leicester, we're playing in the same way and we're playing well and we know our game. And I think that is reassuring in terms of where we can expect to, you know, how well we can expect to do for the rest of the season. There was just going back to the game against Villa as well. There was some, uh, I don't know kind of how ill-intentioned they were. I don't know if they were ill-intentioned at all, but there were there were some comments made by Steven Gerrard towards uh, oh, Bakayo Sacco, weren't there? Yeah, I'm, I, I've kind of thought about this quite a lot um, for, for referencing for anyone who doesn't know. Sacco was kind of, he was fouled a few times in the game, look, as as happens in a football match and as happens when you're Bakayo Sacco and, and you're a dangerous player on the wing and you like to take people on and people foul you, rotation of fouling stops the threat. Like It happens. You look at someone like Jack Grealish last year and Wilfred Zaha and you know all these kind of tricky wide players tend to get fouled quite a lot. But you know, Bakayo Saka was... I think he had a word with the referee at one point, just a quiet word at halftime, just being like, look, can you just watch out for it? Um, because I'm getting fouled quite a lot. Um, I think I need a bit more protection, which I don't think is that unreasonable for a 20-year-old to be asking when he's fouled um, literally, you know, quite often. And it doesn't seem as though he gets the kind of, not even protection, but kind of like players don't get penalised for fouling him enough. And they keep doing it. And so where does the kind of line get drawn in terms of before a serious injury kind of happens? And he was asked about it in his post-match interview. And Saka was just like, look, yeah, I had a word with the ref. Like, I'm, it's my game and it would just be good to kind of get it out there that I get fouled and I feel a bit unsafe on the pitch. And it's kind of like, look, it's obviously part of the game is being physical, but like intentional fouling and like causing injuries is not, what you want to see, really. Um, and Steven Gerrard's comments just kind of really reflected what's wrong with that kind of attitude of, yeah, it was just so badly put and came from such the wrong place in terms of, he was basically, the message he gave off was, well, I have like 18 hip screws or something like that because of my playing days, Saka needs to toughen up and get used to it. Which is just like, no, like, why, why are you saying that a 20 year old, one of the most exciting players in the league, is should be gearing up to get horrendous, like, physical, like, treatment that impacts on your body to the extent where you can't even, I think Gerald was like, I can't even get on a cross trainer for more than five minutes. It's like, well, that's not helpful. Like, why are you advocating yeah. for that? Um, and I just thought it was really poorly 
poorly said and gives off such a bad kind of toxic impression of just like oh you know toughen up like you know get used to it and it's like well yes football's a contact sport but like we shouldn't be advocating for like rough play and like play that might injure people and Arsenal fans I think are more sensitive to it because of the series of quite bad leg breaks and and injuries that we had over a period of time sort of late 2000s and it's just like it's not when someone like Saka it is his game you just don't want it to come to that point where there's a serious injury because of a consequence of kind of not looking after your like your players properly and I just think Steven Gerrard's I mean I kind of found them a bit vile those comments I was just like what is wrong with you like don't I was thinking this morning like what what are his players thinking like a young player like Jacob Ramsey like his manager saying oh like you know who cares about your kind of safety on the pitch or whatever or you know Danny Ings who's had seriously bad injuries over the years um for Gerard to just kind of be like oh get on with it it's like well yes but we did we shouldn't be encouraging kind of play that causes that kind of thing we should be you know trying to keep on top of it a bit um so yeah it, it really I, I really didn't like the way that he spoke about that afterwards and I think it reflected really badly on him as a, as a person and as a manager who's meant to be in charge of kind of like you know, protecting footballers and and making them play well, not kind of basically advocating to injure them, is how I came away from it. But I felt quite aggrieved. I don't know what you thought of his comments. Yeah, I thought it was. I I wasn't. I didn't. You know, quite believe it was as black and white. And that is that. You know, I think that you know there is a, there is something to be said for you know football is a contact sport at the end of the day. And but it, and the game, but the game's changing. And you know you don't see Roy Keane tackles every week anymore. You know the players are, by and large, supposedly far more protected. And he obviously felt that he wasn't. And if you're a player who's repeatedly being fouled, you talk about Grealish is one, Saka's another. Then, you know, inevitably, what the day will come where one of these niggly little fouls turns out to be quite serious. And you know, from that, you know, from that point of view, I, I do, you know, I do have to agree. I think it's. I think that I think that I think the, the the angle you approach it from is you know you interpreted that as he's kind of advocating for you know occasionally you're going to get your leg snapped I think is is um, not the right way to approach it I agree I think if you're one of his players looking at that if the shoes on the other foot there's no way he's making those comments at the press conference is there um, well and the, and and people have dug out you know it's it's just so hypocritical because there's you know. Um, newspaper reports from his time at Rangers when he's gone on record yeah. before a Livingston game saying we need more protection like and it's just like don't let a game when you're feeling I don't know if you saw his post-match interview but he was really quite aggrieved and, and very salty about losing and you know don't let that kind of warp the 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 the, the intention behind your words and like the message it relays because he's gone on record saying it as well it is a thing like young players and certain teams, sometimes referees need to be on top of things. And Gerard knows that well, and he's gone through it all. And I don't know why he'd try and kind of encourage the similar treatment that he received during his playing days, which, look, if he had better protection, then he wouldn't have these kind of physical difficulties. Um, and look, I know it's part of the game and hopefully it will all be fine. But, you know, when something like that comes out, I don't think it's something to kind of scoff at and and kind of, you know, revert back to this really like irrelevant, like out of touch, outdated, like mindset where, oh man up, like you're on a football pitch, like it's, you know, and 
I think that's just like, that's in the past now. And the only thing that comes through with that is like, yes, it's a contact sport and you will get kicked around a bit if you're a good player. But it's like, well, how do we manage that? Because you don't want injuries to a 20-year-old who's, you know, made a brilliant impact on the international stage and is is kind of, you know, one of the shining lights of the English game at the moment. And to for, a, for an ex-pro who was as, you know, prestigiously, you know, uh, regarded and and loved as Steven Gerrard to then like just it really doesn't sit well with me and I think he would do well to kind of look at himself and and kind of apologize even because like those comments whilst they're just throwaway comments in the heat at the moment I'm sure like really show the kind of what's wrong with certain attitudes in the game and like as you say just football's changed and these people like Steven Gerrard, who's also like the second youngest manager in the league, you'd kind of hope that he'd be more sympathetic to the players, whether they're his own or others, um, like he showed for for Rangers when he was, you know, advocating for more protection against Livingston. And um, I just think it's it's really quite telling and, and potentially quite damaging. Um, so I'd rather not see Steven Gerrard kind of speak like that about, you know, not just obviously it hurts more because it's an Arsenal player, but any young player or anyone who kind of makes a point like that, I just you're trying to silence them and just be like, ah, oh, get on with it. It's just like, no, like there's a reason that you know, Bukayo Saka is not someone who's gonna like kick up a fuss and, and be a nuisance. Like, for all for all all I know and like all everyone knows, he's a lovely boy, like everyone loves him at in the England camp. He's not someone to kick up a fuss if he's got a like if he feels like he needs to complain, which he did in a very nice way and quite maturely, that's fine. And then for a manager to just throw it back in his face because he was upset about losing and probably because Arsenal was celebrating on the pitch, which is another thing which is driving me insane at the moment. Um, I just think it's it's so like such an un... a kind of ugly side of football where you're just like, oh, like, don't like take the feelings out of the game. Like, it's it's a man sport. And I'm just like, yeah, it's like get a grip, honestly. Um, yeah, so <laughs> rant over. <laughs> rant over. <laughs> that leaves us just with uh, three or four minutes left. Just we we can't not acknowledge that there is an international break coming up, which will be fun next week on our show where we've had international friendlies against Switzerland and Ivory Coast to talk about. Um, <laughs> but there's been um, recent changes to the squad. There were several withdrawals um, through injury, um, you know, injury in inverted commas. Um, so uh, Aaron Ramsdale, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Reese James and Tam- Tammy Abraham all withdrew through injury. But needless to say, I'm sure a couple of them at least will be back playing for their club the week after. Um, mm. Meanwhile, um, Tyreek Mitchell and Kyle Walker-Peters um, were called up to get their first, uh, for the first time to the England senior squad, uh, along with Sam Johnson and Ollie Watkins. That makes two Crystal Palace youngsters who... Um, have been called up. I've got to admit as well, when I I, I hadn't heard of, of Mark Gay, I've clearly not been watching Crystal Palace enough, but I think it's the first time I've seen a player called up who I genuinely didn't know who they were. <laughs> He's obviously been doing something right, and I think that probably reflects more on me for not having watched the Premier League closely enough the last few weeks. But uh, yeah, it's a rather it's a rather fresh squad, isn't it? A lot of, um, I think, well, as well, I mean, um, not many United players in it. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, were they? I mean, Rashford's not been included rather than surprisingly. Jaden Sancho's not been included. 
Um, a lot of the Euro 2020 squad's not been included. Kyle Walker as well. Um, and a lot of fresh new faces being brought in. So, I mean, that's kind of what the point of international friendlies is, isn't it? Trying to, um, you know, cut and paste the team, mess around with it a bit, see what works and what doesn't. Um, yeah, I, and I think it's a shame for, you know, if we just go through the team by position, like, um, it's a shame that Ramsdale pulled out from injury, even though, like, you know, the, the game time would have been shared by the keepers, I'm sure. But given Everton's struggles and and Ramsdale's, in, you know, form this season, you'd like to think that he has a chance of kind of being the starting England keeper. But I don't think there's another international break now or something until, you know, for a while. So it's a shame for him because um, I think Southgate will probably be more inclined to stick with Pickford, uh, tried and trusted, tried and tested, sorry. Um, in defence, I mean, yeah. Great testament to the work that Vieira is doing at, at Palace. You know, Conor Gallagher, obviously a Chelsea loanee, but playing for Palace. Um, Mark Gehi, who's also, he was bought from Chelsea. I didn't really know much about him until this season, playing well. And Tyree Mitchell. So Palace have got three kind of players who have been playing for them this season, which is which is great to see. Um, great to see Ben White get called up um, as an Arsenal fan. But, you know, he's had a really really good season um especially when other english center backs have you know not shown themselves to be that consistent um and shame about i mean for all the right backs that england have to see alexander arnold reese james trippier they're all injured now walker not called up um so it does give a chance to i mean i don't know what other right backs were called up um i mean i guess carl walker peters yeah who's had a, a really good season as well so um, and then Mitchell plays at left back, so good to see. Um, I was quite surprised that Jaden Sancho wasn't wasn't selected um, because he's he started to play better for United, and I also was quite pleased and surprised that Emil Smith Rowe was selected because he's not played a great deal of football um, of late. A testament to you know what they think of him in the England camp, but for him to get selected kind of over Sancho in a way, I mean, I don't know if that's the direct competition, but you know, it's it's not often that we we see that kind of yeah um, that trade off. And again, as an Arsenal fan, to see four players initially called up was great. Um, and who else was called up? Uh, well, you know, Callum Phillips was another another omission, actually, um, perhaps surprisingly. But I think maybe that just goes to show... He's been, he's been injured, though, mainly. He's been injured, hasn't he? So if he has yeah. Yeah. I um, saw, actually, um, Aston Villa, according to the Telegraph, Aston Villa in pole position to sign Calvin Phillips for £60 million in the summer, um, which I, I was quite astounded by, just because I thought is, surely he'd, yeah. he'd go somewhere else. But, yeah... Um, it looks like quite a fresh, rejuvenated squad. It's quite fun. And I think it shows that... I think Southgate's done a great job making England a place that players want to be at again. Um, so, yeah. So, just just very briefly, we, we are um, at the time now. We filled, we filled the hour. Switzerland and Ivory Coast, will you be watching? You know what? I actually might. And again, I keep bringing it back to Arsenal. But the fact... It, like, international football, I'm more inclined to watch it if Arsenal players are playing. And for England, I think that's maybe in part been part of my kind of disinterest in England sometimes is because Arsenal players aren't playing. But Bakaya Saka's playing, Smith Rowe, Ben White, and also against Switzerland, who Granit Xhaka plays for, and Ivory Coast, Nicola Pepe plays for. You know, maybe I will watch a few of the games um, in a way that 
normally I'm just not interested in, but I, I, I probably will, you know, I probably will. What about you? <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. I think <laughs> well. there's not a huge amount going on. I'm not sure <laughs> England against Ivory Coast will be particularly easy to watch in Germany. I'm not sure it's kind of top. Yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll have a look. We'll have a look. Um, and then we can chat about it at great length next week. Um, oh, I can't wait. Or maybe not. We'll, uh, we'll uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll think about that next week. We'll bring another show to you all next week. Well, we may or may not fill the hour talking about England's international friendlies. Um, but thank you for listening. Another great show. Thanks for joining me, Alfie. And we'll see you all again next week. Bye-bye.